Would you please open your Bibles tonight to the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 12. That's where we're going to begin tonight. We'll go a couple of other places uh, later in the message, but I'll probably not have you turn there. So if you'll just open to the book of Acts chapter 12, that'll be fine for tonight. And I too can say something similar to what Brother Gammon said. He's one of the best friends I have in the entire world. I look forward to being here with you each year. Or at least I have the last, uh, I think, seven or eight years in a row now. And every time we get to uh, talk for just a few moments on the phone or even just text each other, it just brightens my day. In fact, every time I hear Tim Gammon's voice or even just hear his name, I smile every single time. Just, there's just something about uh, him and his love. And uh, I'm very grateful that God's allowed our paths to cross of course, Brother Bobby Robertson was one of my dearest friends, and he's the one who introduced us to Brother Gammons and me and arranged it for the first time for me to be here, and I've been very grateful ever since. Did you find Acts chapter 12? Are you there? I'll give you just a little bit of background. Shortly after uh, Jesus Christ was crucified and buried and rose from the dead and then went back to heaven, the apostles in the city of Jerusalem began to see great multitudes of people saved. And when that many people, thousands at a time, started getting saved, well, some of the people there in Jerusalem got upset about it. It was mainly the Jewish people that were not willing to get saved because they got upset about it, a great persecution arose against the church. I've noticed this week that, in fact, I've noticed just about everywhere I go nowadays that there's police officers in our services. And I sure thank the Lord that they're willing to come and protect us. And I'm thankful that there are men in our nation that are willing to risk their life for us on a daily basis and serve for us. But I hate that our nation has deteriorated to the point to where that's necessary now. When I was a little child, nobody ever thought, never one time had the slightest thought of there being any danger in going to church. <laughs> you, you know, but in the New Testament, it was a common part of their everyday life. Every day it was part of their life. If they wanted to get together and have a prayer meeting, they had to close the doors and lock them and close the windows for fear of the Jews is, is, the, is what the way it's worded. Well, that persecution against the church was led by a, name by, the, uh, by a man by the name of Saul. They called him Saul of Tarsus because he was born in the city of Tarsus. He actually grew up in Jerusalem because his father was a Pharisee, which would be similar to being in the Congress uh, here in America. The, we, we think of a Pharisee sometimes as somebody that doesn't really uh, live the way they talk. But, but the Pharisee, that, that was a title. It was, it was a position. It was a political position. And Saul's father was a Pharisee. It'd be like if your father was a senator, and so you had to go live in Washington, D.C. Well, Saul grew up in Jerusalem because his father was a senator or a Pharisee there. And that persecution against the church in Jerusalem was led by this man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Well, you know the story, most of you do, how when that persecution kept increasing and increasing, it got to the point to where the people living there in Jerusalem that were Christians 
could hardly survive. Saul and people who worked for him were going into their homes in the middle of the night and dragging people out and putting them in prison and torturing them to death. And so the Christians that were there started scattering abroad is the way the, word, the Bible words it. And some of them went to a city called Damascus. And so Saul left Jerusalem and uh, went to, was going to Damascus to get some of those Christians and bring them back and put them on trial there in Jerusalem. Well, on the way to Damascus, you know the story, Saul got saved. And I won't go into all the details, but eventually Saul comes back to Jerusalem and he and a man by the name of Barnabas become very good friends. Barnabas was one of the outstanding Christians in the city of Jerusalem at the time. And again, I won't go into the details, but... Barnabas and Saul became good friends there in Jerusalem, but they wound up in a city called Antioch. The two of them were in Antioch, and they were sort of like the pastor and assistant pastor. Barnabas was pastoring the church to some extent, and Saul was sort of like his assistant pastor. And while the people were up there in Antioch, those Christians that left Jerusalem and went to Antioch, they started witnessing and teaching the Word of God, and people started getting saved. Lots of people started getting saved. And so they started a church up there in Antioch. But while the church in Antioch was now growing, the church back in Jerusalem was still under persecution, under severe persecution. In fact, part of the persecution was the fact that the, nobody would hire the Jews that were living there in Jerusalem at the time. Nobody would give them a job. Nobody would let them work for them. Nobody would even let them have a business of any kind. And so they had no way to feed their families and so forth. In fact, it got so bad at one time, Barnabas sold all of his land and gave everything he had to the other people in the church because they, they couldn't make a living. But the folks in Antioch heard that that was still happening, so they took up an offering up in Antioch, and they said, we're going to send this offering back down to Jerusalem. And they chose Barnabas and Saul, the two men who came from Jerusalem, they chose those two men to take the offering back down to Jerusalem. Right there is where we pick up the story. I said turn to chapter 12, but we're actually going to back up to verse 29 in chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 29. Then the disciples, the disciples that were in Antioch, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, Jerusalem being the capital of Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders, to the elders down in Judea, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. That's what I had just described. Now in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now about that time, about the time that Barnabas and Saul got back down to Jerusalem, about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. Vex means to harm them in some way. And he killed James. Some people think James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem at the time. He was at least one of the leading Christians in the, in the church at the time. And he, Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he persecuted further, uh, he, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Or if you look at me just for a moment, I'll just very quickly review something I said Sunday morning. In Jerusalem at this particular time, there were basically three groups of people. There were the Romans who had come from Rome and conquered the land of Israel, and they were ruling all of Israel, including the city of Jerusalem. 
in Jerusalem, there were the Jews that had always lived there, the Jews, the Hebrews, whatever you want to call them, the descendants of Abraham. They, they were uh, the Jews that were there. And some of those Jews had gotten saved, and now they were what we refer to as the church. And when Herod arrested James, a member of the church, and killed him, Herod could tell that it pleased the Jews because they were against this these, uh, this, this splintered group that had splintered off uh, because they trusted Christ. And so Herod said, well, if that pleased the Jews when I killed James, I'll do it again. So he arrested Peter. And he put Peter in jail with the plans to, to kill him. Now let's continue reading in verse, uh, verse 4. And when he, Herod, had apprehended him, Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers or four quartets of soldiers or 16 soldiers uh, to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing in the church uh, unto God for him, for Peter. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keeper before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. The angel said to Peter, Wake up, and, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did, and he said, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not, or understood not, uh, that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, he came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. And they went out, the angel and Peter, and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, or he sort of kind of woke up or sort of realized what was happening, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, uh, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now hold your place there, but look at me just for a moment. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let me just quickly tell you, when Peter got out of prison, he went to Mary's house. Mary was the mother of John Mark. So John Mark, we're told later on, is Barnabas' nephew. So they're at, uh, uh, at, at Barnabas' sister's house, or maybe his sister-in-law, one or the other. Mary was his sister or sister-in-law. And they're having this prayer meeting. And they're praying that Peter can get out of prison. And somehow, Peter just winds up. I'm sure it was of the Lord. But I mean, Peter just gets out of prison and he thinks, well, now where do I go? So he thinks, well, I'll, I'll go to Mary's house. And so he goes to Mary's house and he knocks on the door and we'll see what happens here. Uh, let's go back to, uh, where was I, verse 14 and uh, 13. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate uh, and, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a, a damsel uh, came to hearken or came to ask who is, who's there, and her name was Rhoda. 
And when she knew Peter's voice, she hadn't opened the gate yet. She hadn't opened the window in the, uh, the door or anything of that nature. She just heard his voice through the door. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She got so excited she forgot to unlock the door. But ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. She told the people who were in the house praying for Peter to get out of prison that he's outside. Verse 15, And they said unto her, <laughs> this is hilarious to me, thou art mad. What they were saying was, you're nuts. <laughs> Peter's not outside the prison, not outside the door. He's in prison. That's what we're praying about. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And they then said they, it is his angel. <laughs> what they were saying was, Okay, maybe you heard somebody outside the door that has the same voice Peter has. But if that's what you heard, then we must be too late. Herod's already killed him. He already killed James. Now he's already killed Peter. Now it's his angel standing outside the door. All right, let's uh, go to verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were, notice that word, astonished. The word astonished means surprised beyond measure. Would you agree with me that those people that were at Mary's house praying for Peter to get out of prison were praying even though they thought they did not have enough faith to get their prayer answered? Would you agree with me that when they heard Peter knocking at the door, and Rhoda came back and said, hey, Peter's at the door, and they said, you're nuts. Would you agree with me that while they were praying, they did not think they had enough faith to get their prayer answered? When, when, she, when she said, no, no, really, it's him, I heard his voice, and they said, well, if you heard somebody that sounds like Peter, then they must have already killed him. It's his angel standing out there. Would you agree with me that while they were praying, they did not think they had enough faith to get their prayer answered. And when they opened the door to prove to Rhoda that, that I'm telling you, he's not there, they didn't open the door expecting to see him or they wouldn't have been astonished. They wouldn't have been surprised beyond measure if they had, if they had thought they were going to find Peter outside the door. They didn't open the door to find Peter. They opened the door to prove to Rhoda she didn't know what she was talking about. But, when, but, uh, but what they didn't understand was this. Faith is not how you feel while you pray. Faith is not what you think while you pray. Faith is the fact that you're willing to pray. You know, James said, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The fact that you pray is your faith. Not what you think not how you feel while you pray. So let me say this tonight. Just go ahead and pray. Whether you think God's going to answer you or not, just go ahead and pray. Whether you think you have enough faith or not, just go ahead and pray. Whether you think you're going to get your prayer answered or not, 
Just go ahead and pray. Go ahead and pray for your mother's salvation. I don't care how many times you've asked her to get saved. Just keep praying that she will. Pray for your brother's salvation. I don't care how many times you've witnessed to him. Just keep praying that your brother will get saved. Just keep praying for your sister to get saved. It doesn't matter how many times you've invited her to church and how many times she said she doesn't want to come and how many times she said she's not interested. Just keep on praying. Just keep praying for your son's salvation. Just keep praying for your daughter's salvation. Just keep praying for your son-in-law's salvation. Just keep praying for your daughter-in-law's salvation. I don't care if she lights candles. I don't care if she sits around and hums and, 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 and looks spooky while she does it. it that doesn't matter. It, what matters is, is if you pray for her. If you pray for her, then that means you have the faith for God to answer your prayer. Now, when is God going to answer your prayer? I don't know. How is He going to answer your prayer? I don't know. But you have enough faith for God to answer your prayer if you're willing to pray. Regardless of how hopeless it seems, you know, you know there was one time when you seemed kind of hopeless. <laughs> You remember back when you, you went, hey, you remember back uh, uh, two years before you got saved? You remember six months before you got saved? You remember uh, uh, a month before you got saved? There were some folks looking at you thinking you were hopeless. <laughs> and so look, don't, uh, don't, don't decide, well, 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 this case is hopeless. I mean, it probably seemed kind of hopeless. You know, Pi uh, Herod was the governor uh, of the land at the time. He had the entire Roman army at his disposal. They had already killed James, who they who we think might have been the pastor of the church. Now they've arrested Peter. They've put him in prison. It seemed kind of hopeless. But they went ahead and prayed. Hey, that visitor that you prayed for and you invited, and they came last Sunday, and you were so hoping they would get saved, and they didn't, just keep on praying. That visitor that came Monday night that you just knew this was the night they were going to get saved, but they didn't, just keep on praying. That one that was here last night that didn't get saved, just keep on praying. Hey, I'll go further than that. Those eight that you invited that did not come, just keep praying. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering, do I have enough faith to get saved? Do, do, do I have enough faith myself to even, even get saved? You know, they did not believe they had enough faith to get God to answer. They said, thou art mad. They said, you're nuts. They said, it's his angel. They said, he's already been killed. They were astonished. They were surprised above measure. How they felt, what they were thinking, and what they were expecting, none of that is their faith. The fact that Mary opened the door to her house and let them all come in, that's her faith. The fact that they all got up and got dressed and put their clothes on and walked across town and sneaked in the side door of Mary's house and closed the doors and locked them and came there and was willing to pray, that's their faith. James said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by getting dressed and walking across town and showing up at the prayer meeting. He said, I'll show you my faith by, by uh, being willing to come to the prayer meeting. You know, their faith was the fact that she opened the door, the faith, the fact that they came, the faith, their faith was the fact that they got on their knees. Their faith was not... Okay, if they had to expect God to answer their prayer to have faith, then they didn't have it. Because they didn't expect God to answer their prayer. 
You know, you say, well, I would pray, but I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like I just, I don't know. In fact, I've prayed before and God didn't answer. And so, you know, I, I just don't see any sense in trying anymore. They didn't expect God to preach their prayer, but they prayed. How they worded it didn't matter. The fact that they prayed is what was important. How they felt on the inside while they prayed didn't matter. The fact that they were praying is what mattered. What they were thinking while they prayed. You know, we make, we make everything about Christianity a little too spooky sometimes. You know, sometimes we feel like you've got to get just the exact right look on your face. You've you got, you got to have exactly the right emotion. You've got to feel exactly the right way. You've got to be in exactly the right mood. You've got to be more determined this time than I was last time. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe last time I didn't convince God that I was determined enough. Uh, maybe it's my fault that I didn't word it right. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's, may, maybe I, I wasn't wearing the right clothes. Maybe I didn't have on the right shoes. Maybe I didn't comb my hair right. Maybe I should have shaved before I prayed. And, and, and we make prayer so spooky, you know, I didn't feel it, you know, you know, we talk about, about uh, boy, I could feel God's presence, I don't know what that means, but I've said it before, but I don't know what it means, I don't, I don't get the impression they felt God's presence, they weren't in that prayer meeting at Mary's house saying, any minute now he's going to knock on the door, any minute now he's going to be here, hey, hey, hey Rhoda, go over there and stand by the door, because he's going to be here any minute now. They were, they were on their knees praying, and they said to Rhoda, they said to each other, as Rhoda got up, there she goes. <laughs> Look at her. She thinks it's she thinks it's worth opening the door. You know. Uh, hey, look at Rhoda. Uh, you, you, and they laughed at her. They said, "You're nuts." But God answered their prayer. I feel that God is more practical than we are. We're more spooky. We think of God as being this spooky being out there in La La Land somewhere. This spooky being that, that, you know, one of these days he's going to say, beam me up, Scotty, and, and, and we're all going to go up, you know. And, and, and we make God way too spooky. God's very, very practical. God never said if you hold your mouth just right. God never said if you'll get yourself in the right mood. God never said if you'll light enough candles. God never said any of that. He simply said, pray. And if you'll pray, that's your faith. The fact that you're willing to take time to pray, that is your faith. Faith is not something you generate. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you improve upon until it's good enough to get through. You know, I've heard the old, the old phrase of, we prayed through. That sounds real pious, but I have no idea what it means. You prayed through what? <laughs> Those folks at Mary's house couldn't even pray through the roof. <laughs> they couldn't get their prayers outside the door. But God heard them. And He gave them exactly what they were praying for. Faith is not something I generate or improve upon. Faith is a gift from God. 
and God is no respecter of persons. He has given all of us a measure of faith. You take whatever faith you have that God has given you. Now, Brother Gammons has a lot more faith than I have. I'll admit that. I mean, it's obvious. He's pastoring this great church. He's, uh, he, he's uh, uh, you, you know, get ready to build and lead you folks to, to, to work together to, to build a new building and, and move on for God. And, and he raises some, some you know, funds and, and God supplies. And, and he has a lot more faith than I have. But you know that my little teaspoonful of faith has the same access to God that his five-gallon bucket of faith has? God is no respecter of persons. Faith is a gift that comes from God. God may have given me a teaspoonful of faith. He may have given Brother Gammons a bucket full of faith. But if I bring my teaspoonful of faith back to God and give it to Him, it has as much access to come boldly to the throne as His five-gallon bucket of faith has to come to the bo boldly to the throne. And tonight, every single one of us have been given some faith from God. And it's our job to take that faith and give it back to God. And when we give it back to God, then He will give us salvation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He paid for the salvation. He gave us the faith to ask for it. And when we bring the faith that He gave us as a gift back to Him, He gives us something that He paid for. How could you ask for a better God? How could you ask for a simpler God? You know, God doesn't make it complicated. I went to a Catholic church one time in my whole life. And if you're Catholic, don't get offended. I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I didn't understand being in a Catholic church because I was only there one time in my entire life. And that one time I was there, I stood up at the wrong time every time. <laughs> I sat down at the wrong time every time. I, I knelt at the wrong time every time. And every time they did this, I, I was a couple of moves behind. <laughs> you know, I, I just couldn't quite get there. You know, it, it was just too complicated for me. And right this moment, I'm not criticizing the Catholics. I'm just saying their religion, because I'd only, I've only, I was only there one time, it was too complicated for me. But there's nothing complicated about getting to God. There's nothing complicated about it. You and I, there is a great gulf fixed between us and God. And God said, the only way for you to get here is for me, God, to pay the penalty to get you here. So he sent his son to pay for the penalty. And he said, now I've got this free gift I'll give to you. He said, but now to get the gift, you have to have some faith. And we're sitting down here on the earth saying, faith. Faith, okay, I've got to have faith, got to have faith, got to have faith. I, I need some faith. I've I got to have some faith. I'm going to generate some faith. I'm going to think about some faith. I'm going to muster up some faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grip my teeth real hard. I'm going to squint, squint, squint my eyes real, real, real tight. And, and, and I'm going to get in a certain mood. And, and I'm going to feel just right. And I'm going to make some faith. And it doesn't work. And God says, oh, by the way... If you, if you need faith to, to, to receive the gift I'm going to give you, here, I'll give you the faith first. And all of a sudden, we've got this faith. And we don't know where it came from. Well, it came from Him. And we say, okay, God, I've got this faith. Look at this. Look what I've got. I've got some faith. And God, I'll give it to you. And He says, okay, then I'll give you the salvation that I've already paid for. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, the faith, 
not of yourselves. It, the faith, is a gift of God. You're saved by the grace or the favor of God. Okay, grace, grace is, is hard to define, but it's simple to define. Uh, okay, I'll put it this way. You can define grace all day long and never finish defining it, but you can also put a very simple definition on it. Grace is God doing you a favor. You ever ask somebody... You ever say to somebody, you know, look, I, I, I really hate to impose upon you. I know you're my friend. I hate to impose upon you. But I just don't have the money right now to do such and such. Could you do me a favor and help me do this? And they did it for you just as a favor. That's what, God, that's what grace is. God provided salvation for us as a favor. He said, I know you can't get yourself to heaven, <laughs> but I'll do you a favor. I'll provide a way for you to get there. And then he said, not only will I do you a favor to get, let you come to heaven, he said, I'll give you the faith as a gift that you need to accept the favor that I'm offering you. You know, the fact that you're here tonight is some portion of faith. The fact that you came to this building tonight to hear somebody read this book right here and talk about the God of heaven, that... that indicates that you have some faith that there is a God. You know, if, if, you, thought, if you thought this whole thing was just a bunch of baloney and, and, and there wasn't a God and, and, the, and the Bible wasn't true and, and you didn't have any inkling whatsoever, no, no, no tiny little bit of hope that there might be a God out there somewhere, then you wouldn't have come. But the fact that you're here tonight indicates that there's some little flicker of a flame down in there somewhere that says there might be a God out there somewhere, so I think I'll go hear him talk about him tonight. The fact that you're listening to what I'm saying right now, that's faith. You've got some faith. No, you don't have as much faith as Brother Gammons has yet, and neither do I. But you've got some faith because you're listening right now. You know, the fact that you're giving some consideration. I don't know who you are, but there's probably somebody in the room tonight, in a crowd this big, there's probably somebody in the room tonight who's sitting there thinking, that's a bunch of baloney. I don't believe any of that stuff. But you're still listening. <laughs> you're still considering it. You're still sitting there listening to it. So up to this point, now you may get up and walk out in a minute and cut your faith off, but as of right now, you've got some faith. God gave every one of us some faith, and you've got some. And I know you may think, not me, I don't have any faith. Boy, if you knew how I live, the fact that you're here tonight, the fact that you're listening, the fact that you're giving it some consideration, even if you're leaning heavily against it, the fact that you're here giving it some consideration, that's a, that's a measure, that's an indication. There's some faith there. There's a little bit of faith down in there somewhere. You remember the guy that had the son? There was a man in the Bible who had a son. And when I say in the Bible, I hope you understand, that doesn't mean in a fairy tale. That means, just like we open a history book and we read about George Washington. He was a real person. They wrote about him in a history book. The people in the Bible are real people and they wrote about him in the Bible. And there was a man in the Bible and he had a son that had some problems. The son was not able to speak. 
And the son had some type of emotional or mental problems. And it may have been to some extent that he was possessed with the devil. I'm, I have to admit to you, I don't remember exactly every little detail of the story. But, but I remember that the man's son would sometimes throw himself into a fire. Or there was a, I think the Bible said there was an evil spirit in him that would throw him in the fire. And sometimes that, that spirit would throw him in the water and try to do harm to him. And that boy would sometimes fall on the ground and wallow around and foam at the mouth. And he just, he just had severe problems. So the man heard that there was this guy named Jesus who had some followers that they called disciples and that some miracles had happened and some people had been healed. So he took his son to where he thought those people were well, Jesus wasn't there at the moment, but some of the disciples were, and he was so desperate to get his son some help. He said to some of the disciples, Hey, can some of you guys help my son? And they tried, but they couldn't. Well, about that time, Jesus comes back from where he had been with three of the disciples. I think it was Peter, James, and John, if I remember right. And the four of them come back. And when they get back, there's this big multitude there, and this big commotion's going on, and Jesus says, hey, guys, what's going on? And this man comes running out of the crowd, and he says, you're Jesus? He said, I've been looking for you. He said, I brought my son, and I tried my best to get your disciples to heal him, and, and they tried, but it just didn't work. And he said, uh, can you do something for him? And Jesus said, do you believe I can? And the man said, absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind that's the only reason I came was because I knew for sure that you could do it. Those of you who know the story know that's not what he said, is it? He said, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. At the exact same time he was believing, he was also doubting. Hey, can I give you some good news? <laughs> to doubt is not a sin. In fact, doubt is not your enemy. If there were no doubt, there could be no faith. If you knew for sure, absolutely, that this was going to happen, that's not faith, that's confidence. And the Bible doesn't say you're saved through confidence. It says you're saved through faith. And if you never doubted, you could have no faith. If there were no low, there'd be no high. If there were no cold, there'd be no hot. If there were no down, there'd be no up. If there were no off, there'd be no on. If there were no dark, there'd be no light. And if there were no doubt, there would be no faith. So when you come to your time to pray, and you're about to kneel and pray for that loved one of yours that's not saved yet, that you've been praying for, for that one that you've been trying to get to come to the revival or get to come to church sometime soon. Or maybe you come to the point where you're ready to pray and ask God to save you. And you get there and you think, I just don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. I just don't know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that's what you needed. You needed some doubt. If you hadn't have doubted, you couldn't have had any faith. Doubt is not your enemy. Doubt is the platform on which you perform faith. If you walked in here tonight saying, bless the Lord, I know exactly what God's going to do. I've already asked Him to do it, and I know exactly when He's going to do it, and I know it's going to happen. That's confidence. 
And I don't find that word in the Bible anywhere. But the man who said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief, he got exactly what he was asking for. The moment he asked for it. You remember the folks in the Old Testament? They displeased God and he sent some serpents to bite them. <laughs> and they were getting bit all over the place and they were dying. And you remember what God told Moses? He said, Moses, make a brazen serpent, a fiery serpent, a serpent out of brass, and put him on a pole and hold that pole up in the middle of the camp. And he said, if somebody gets in bit, if they'll learn all the exact motions and movements to make at the right time, stand up at the right time, kneel at the right time, do this at the right time, hold their face just right, feel exactly the way they're supposed to feel, light their candles, get in the right mood. He said, if they'll do all of that and get it just right, he said, then I'll heal them. Those of you who know the story know that's not the way it happened. What he said was, Anybody in the camp that will just turn and look at that snake, that, that, that brazen snake. He didn't say anybody who knows for sure they have enough faith to trust that it's going to work. That's not what he said. He said if they'll just look. Just the looking was the faith. Just to, okay, he, you read the story carefully. I read this story several times today to make sure I had this right. He never said if they will look and be confident that I'm going to do it, then they'll trust me, then I'll do it. What he said was, if they will look. You remember when you were a little kid, and you were trying to do something, and your mom said, well, come here and I'll help you. And you said, no, I won't do it myself. And your mom thought, well, okay, then do it yourself. But you got about halfway through it, and you couldn't get it done. And you weren't willing to say, okay, Mom, you're right. I need your help. But you just gave her that look. Like, okay, Mom. You didn't say anything. You just looked. God said all you got to do is look. If you're here tonight and you're willing to just look, just say, God, I don't even know exactly what to say. God, I don't even know it exactly how to feel. God, I don't even know that I totally understand all this. But I'm looking to you. <laughs> that's enough faith for your one to get saved. And that's enough faith for you to get saved tonight if you're not. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed.